Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, what do a priest, a politician, and a barbecue restaurant owner have in common? All charged by police. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show, listening to which is pretty much the last legal activity in Canada right now. So if you're cooped up, afraid of getting ticketed, you don't want to open your barbecue joint, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to do any of these other things that are apparently criminalized now in the last week, I thank you very much for tuning in. In all seriousness, this has been just an abysmal week for liberty in Canada, and I was actually off last week, so I guess maybe there's a joke in there about this is what happens when I, I take a week off. But, I mean, it was very, very discouraging and very unsettling to just see the volume of people that were being charged, arrested for... For what? For what? Because of this veiled sense of public health guidance, even though there is no public health benefit to what's been happening here. And I'm actually going to be devoting the entire show to this because we are at this critical point in Canada where people can decide to go along with this, to go along with the big lie from the government or to go along with the individual liberties. And by the way, individual liberties are also collective liberties. The individual liberties of the people who are now finding themselves receiving the ire of the state for the uh, in apparently criminal act of wanting to go about their lives. And it's not just Adam Skelly, although certainly we'll be talking about the owner of Adamson Barbecue in Etobicoke, but also Ontario Member of Provincial Parliament Randy Hillier, uh, anyone who goes to a church in Steinbach, Manitoba, it might be Steinbach. I know I'm going to get like an angry email or two from a Manitoban, despite whichever way I go, but I think it's Steinbach. Manitoba, uh, despite any number of other uh, areas where government crackdowns are now pushing the envelope further and further into this uh, enforced lockdown mentality. And I have to say, though, on the 30,000 foot view of this, remember when this was all about we're all in this together? Remember when that was the line? And it's amazing how we're all in this together became snitch on your neighbors. Most notably in Manitoba, Brian Pallister, the premier, had put out this snitch line encouraging people to report anyone they see who might be violating COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. Uh, Toronto has done the same thing. Police are not just issuing warnings, they are actually issuing fines. And a lot of them came on the same day. And that's a, an aspect of this that I, I haven't seen a lot of people People talking about yet. So I, I want to address that. But let's talk about Etobicoke here. Now, I've never been to Adamson Barbecue. And some people are saying, oh, this is all just a, a big publicity stunt because now more people know about Adamson Barbecue. If you look at the actual things that are happening and what the owner of this restaurant is doing and what he's standing up for, this is not a publicity stunt. He's staking a lot on this and may end up losing his business. This was the guy who, after Toronto went into lockdown mode last week, decided, you know what, I'm not going to take it. And the first day everything was closed, he said, I'm open up and I'm serving ribs. And he sold out. And then the next day he sold out again and kept selling out over the last week. And, and the law enforcement response to it kept escalating. At first, they just dropped by and said, OK, we're just trying to tell you all that you have to leave. And you know what? This is uh, something that you should do. And, and then later on, everyone said, well, that's ridiculous. What's the point of having these... Uh, 
uh, laws if you're not going to enforce them. And then things started to get more and more serious. Then he was fined. Eventually, he was arrested. And by the end of the week, you had dozens of police officers on site outside a barbecue joint. The mounted police called in. You had basically this approach that was uh, predicated on there being riots, despite the fact that no such riots took place. Uh, actually, there was one video I saw uh, from Joe Warmington on Twitter of people just dancing and having a great old time. You don't get that at the Antifa rallies, I can assure you. And now here we are. So the lockdown culture war has kind of found a battleground site at Adams and Barbecue. And I want you to actually hear from Adam Skelly what it is that he's doing here, because he has found himself going up against pretty much the entire apparatus of the government. So yes, he's a fighter, but he's actually a very real person as well. Take a look at this. Best to speak from the heart, to just put myself out there and, and share my perspective with everybody. I mean, of course, it's terrifying going up against the entire system. I put myself out there like that, but and there's no choice. There's there's nothing we can do with doing it. What do you got here? This is my three-year-old boy, Riley. I'm fighting for him today. He says in that clip, he knows he's going up against the entire system, but what the heck else is he going to do? As he's there talking with uh, Joe Warmington as well of the Toronto Sun. And I, I know I've mentioned Joe Warmington twice. He's been doing some tremendous work covering this. When, <laughs> Just to put it into perspective, this is how the mainstream media covers it. To see white privilege in action, look at Toronto's Adamson barbecue debacle. That's from the Huffington Post. They say that this is not about coronavirus. This isn't about lockdown. This isn't about government overreach. Uh, they say this is actually about Adam Skelly's white privilege, because if he were not uh, white, then, you know, something else would have happened. I, the argument seems to be that if he weren't white, uh, you know, there wouldn't be a police response, although the fact that the mounted police are there and he was taken away in handcuffs would seem to indicate to me that uh, there is very little privileged about what's been happening here. Uh, he does have a crowdfunding campaign going, which I shudder to even give the dollar amount because I, I know it's going up so quickly it'll be outdated. But, uh, you know, at the time I'm recording this, it, it's, I think, just uh, just shy of $290,000 that, that's been raised for a legal defense. And I don't know how much the legal defense is going to cost. I think it's probably at the point where he, he's got enough to get through. But this is about more than just Adam Skelly. And this is the important point, because I know people will always try to pick apart the motives or motivations of someone that they see taking a stand like this. And people are saying, well, you know, maybe he's, is he just, does he even believe in COVID? Because there are business owners that are very much true believers in the idea that no, COVID's a thing and I want masks and I want this, but we can run our business safely. But I also am increasingly uninterested in going through and parsing individual people's motives when the frustration is entirely justifiable. If you have businesses, and I know everyone knows this, but it bears repeating, especially restaurateurs, an industry that has just the, the slimmest margins, even if you're a successful restaurant, that typically is not a, a huge profit that you're bringing in if you're a, an independent restaurant owner. So for restaurateurs who barely got through the first lockdown to now be once again with just two days notice told by the government, okay, you're locked down again. I do not blame any one of them for saying, you know what, I'm done with this. I did my part two weeks to flat the curve and then it was two months and then it was three years or whatever it was. I, I don't blame him for saying, you know, because if there is another lockdown, 
the few businesses that were able to reopen after the first lockdown are going to find themselves unable to open after the second one. So I do not at all fault anyone. There was a, another restaurant in Toronto, Hogtown Smoke, that took a very different approach. Now, they were not a, as defiant as Adam Skelly, but they put out a, a statement that went around uh, in the internet the other day uh, saying something very similar. Listen, we've, we're sanitizing everything. We're doing far more than a lot of retailers that are allowed to stay open are, yet we are, for some reason, being the scapegoats here. The government's telling us we have to shut down. So in, in Toronto, it's restaurants. In Manitoba, it's pretty much anyone and everyone, including churches. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the whole point of this is that the government is not just going after Adam Skelly for violating the lockdown. They are trying to throw absolutely everything at him. And I want to read a section here from a, a press release sent out by the City of Toronto on November 24th. This is the day that things started to escalate. And they said that they sent bylaw officers, public health inspectors, and police officers. So we're talking about already multiple government agents that are being sent to the barbecue joint. And then here's what they say. The city is also investigating this business for compliance with business licensing, zoning, public health, Ontario building code, and Ontario fire code requirements. They're throwing the book at him. They're throwing the library at him. And there's a reason for this. You know that old uh, yarn that people tell about Al Capone, how the only thing that he'd get him for was, was tax evasion? Well, that's the whole thing with Adam Skelly here, where even if he beats the rap on the one charge that he's defending, or the four charges that he's defending himself against, if he beats the rap on those, he's still going to go down on, you know, not having batteries in the smoke detector or something, because they are now hell-bent on getting him on anything and everything they can. Don't be surprised if, you know, he finds himself randomly selected for additional screening next time he tries to get on a plane or something, because this is what's happening now. The guy has become public enemy one, public enemy number one to the state, so they're going to get him on anything. And, and you know, he's going to be audited by CRA next time. Personal income tax, business income tax, doesn't matter. He is now patient zero of the new pandemic, which is government overreach under the guise of curbing the original pandemic. And this is what Adam Skelly is dealing with. So when people say that, you know what, he's, uh, you know, not the best uh, poster boy for this, I say, you know what, he is enduring more than most other people are who are pushing back against this lockdown. So I have a lot of sympathy for what he's doing, and I have a lot of support for the people behind him and for him saying to the government, listen, you, you can't do this. You can't do this. And and this is, I mean, going to continue. I don't know how long the horses are going to be camped out outside Adamson Barbecue, but this has become, when I see the videos and pictures of this, this is like the conservative answer to what we've seen from the left in a lot of protests in the past of like the tent cities where these areas kind of become these encampments for whatever movement. I mean, this one smells a lot better because, you know, instead of body odor, it's, uh, you know, the smell of a, a smokehouse. So this is a, a lot better than the left-wing tent cities, but it's like, now the new encampment for conservative anti-lockdown protesters, which is kind of fun because conservatives don't usually uh, protest in this way. So that's why the anti-mask and anti-lockdown movements and, and all that have actually been quite unique because it has pushed the envelope far enough that people on the right who typically just want to go about their lives and don't typically want to organize are now standing up and saying, you know what, I'm pushing back. And ordinary people, this is critical. Ordinary people who wouldn't normally be activists. 
And I say that as well, talking about a lot of members of the clergy, a lot of ministers, priests, pastors, that again, are, are not typically all that political that are speaking up. Now, we've spoken on the show twice to Pastor Henry Hildebrandt from the Church of God in Elmer, Ontario, and I, I'm not saying he's a, a shrinking violin in any way. I know he's never shied away from speaking out since the very beginning of this, but Pastor Hildebrandt, who we had on the show a, a week and a half ago, was actually charged by police last week on Thursday for daring to attend a protest in London earlier last week. So if you're not familiar with Southwestern Ontario geography, I don't blame you. Aylmer, smaller town, uh, just outside of St. Thomas, which is itself, I think, like 25 minutes south of London. So uh, not far from London, but a different town. He went into London, went to Victoria Park, which is the big downtown park, participated in this rally. And then London police hunted him down and served him with a summons to attend court in February. Take a watch. Hello, sir. How are you? Doing well, and yourself? Good. So, uh, I'm Constable Owen from the London City Police Corps Unit. I have a Part 3 summons um, that I have to uh, serve upon you. Am I okay to speak in front of these gentlemen to you? Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, would you like me to explain this document to you? What is it? Okay, it's a, a ticket or a summons to, uh, to court for failing to comply with a section 7.0.2 order to wit. Participate in an outdoor gathering at Victoria Park, which exceeded 25 people, uh, contrary to the Reopening Ontario Act. Section 10, sub 1, sub 8. Uh, so you're required to attend court, 824 Dundas Street, London, Ontario, on the 22nd day of February, uh, 2021, at 9 a.m., uh, courtroom 101. Uh, all the information's on the back. And I'm certain that on you. Do I receive it? You can put it in the mailbox if you like. I can put it in the mailbox if you like. Sure. Yep. Thank you. Is everyone receiving a ticket that was there? Uh, I'm not at liberty to discuss that right now. Why is that? Yeah, that I what you just said. To say that that document is for you and uh, any discussions will happen in court. So are you treating people differently? I was there. Anything else I can do for you, sir? I was there, sir. Answer his question. I was there. Answer his question. I, We're here. Then, then I don't have to answer your question. Fine. Then leave the property immediately. Have a wonderful day. Now, there were, I think, about 200 people at this rally, just to put things into perspective here. And this is very important. 200 people at this rally. Police charged three women who organized it, uh, one of whom is a nurse, incidentally. People char the police charged three women who organized it. They charged him. He may have spoken at it, but he wasn't an organizer. But here's the thing. 200 people. Now, that very same park, that very same park was home to a rally of 10,000 people earlier this year at the initial Black Lives Matter protest in London. One of the largest in the country took place in London at that very same place, Victoria Park. Not a single charge was laid, so far as I understand. Not a single charge, but 200 people. 200 people, anti-lockdown protesters, are finding police starting to go on a road trip around uh, different communities to find them here, charge them, issue summons. And this is not, I don't blame the individual officers. And I, I feel bad about that video in a way, because you can tell that one officer who was doing it was very professional. I, I liked what he said. I mean, I didn't like it, but... I noted what he said about, I, I have to serve this to you. And it was a subtle wording, but I think a very revealing one. He's like, I have to, you know, it's, he's being uh, told to do this. And I, I know that a lot of people, 
a lot of people like to target the individual frontline officers, and I see them compared to, uh, you know, just horrific things. I, I see them compared to, like, the Nuremberg just following orders stuff, and, and I don't buy into that. I, I don't, these are not the problem. The problem is the lawmakers. The problem is the lawmakers who are putting forward these restrictions and putting law enforcement officers who should be out there solving real crimes into the position of having to go after pastors and churchgoers. That's the problem here. It's not the frontline officers. The problem is the government that is making this directive and prioritizing this and, and taking, whether it's, again, a barbecue, a barbecue restaurant owner, a pastor, or an Ontario member of provincial parliament and making them the enemies of the state and not people that are actually committing real crimes. Randy Hillier, again, another alumnus of the Andrew Lawton show. I'm beginning to think we are part of the problem here in a way because everyone we interview is ending up getting charged. Uh, Randy Hillier was ticketed for uh, participating in the Pots and Pans rally at Queen's Park last week. Uh, this is, again, an Ontario legislator. This is a member of Ontario's provincial legislature, and he has been now charged, issued a summons by Toronto Police. Again, the same around the same time. I, I won't play the video because the audio is really bad, but you can see it here and just know that the police are, are giving him a court date. They're telling him what courtroom, they're telling him when. I think it's all in, in February, so they're just kind of kicking the can down the curb and or down the road, rather. And, and that's going to be when it happens. But, but here's the thing. Imagine the juxtaposition of this. Opposition member charged for protesting government. I've seen that headline before many times. I've seen it in Belarus. I've seen it in Russia. I've seen it in Iran. I've seen it in, not North Korea, because there they get shot, not charged. So we're better than North Korea. I've seen it in China, I believe. I have seen countless times stories about opposition politicians being charged for daring to criticize and protest against the government. And that's what happened in Ontario. That's what happened to Randy Hillier. Here is a guy who is an independent MPP. He's opposing the government. He's participating in a protest at Queen's Park, the seat of government in Ontario, and he has now been charged for protesting. And I made this point on Twitter, and I people say, oh, no, he's not charged for protesting. He's charged for attending a mass gathering. I say, well, yeah, the mass gathering is the protest. The mass gathering is the protest. So I'm going to repeat this again because this is particularly chilling opposition member charged for criticizing government. That is what Ontario has fallen to. And that is what Canada has fallen to right now. When protest, which has always been respected as an essential aspect of freedom and of a free society is criminalized, you no longer have free speech. And you can protest against public health advice. You can protest in contravention of public health advice, a la the Black Lives Matter protesters. Remember, a lot of public health officials were kind of saying, ah, you know, we, we think it's really not something that people should do, but we understand it's important. And if you do it, you know, be careful and social distance and try to self-isolate. But, but there was no skull cracking. There was no state mandate. And, and this is what's particularly insidious, I think, and why I'm sympathetic to police officers. Because police officers stood by 
when thousands of people were talking about how all cops are murderers. Police stood by because that's their job. And now police are being directed by the government to go and criticize people who are criticizing the government on lockdown stuff. And that's why I don't think police are really, as individual officers, in the driver's seat of this at all. Because they're not. In fact, a lot of the pro-lockdown, or a lot of the anti-lockdown people are actually very courteous to police. You see at the uh, Adamson barbecue uh, videos that a lot of people are, are thanking police for their service. Look at the end of that uh, arrest or charging rather of Pastor Hildebrandt and his son who was filming it said, okay, you know, we got to get off the property, but have a great day. Like conservatives are typically the ones that are supportive of the police, especially in the last year when that support in society at large cannot be taken for granted. But we are now seeing the criminalization of everything. And in Steinbach, Manitoba, I mentioned this earlier, uh, police were doing the whole Adamson barbecue thing. They were actually lining the streets, blocking, blocking people from going to a drive-in church service. Now, do you know what the COVID-19 transmission risk is at a service where everyone stays in their cars? I'm going to say it's less than zero. I know that's a theoretical number. So for all the mathematicians or statisticians out there, I'm going to say absolutely zero with a, with an asterisk. The caveat being if you're uh, in the car with someone who had it. But you know what? That's uh, your own responsibility because you probably uh, are close contact with them anyway. So it has nothing to do with the church service. But this was a minister delivering a sermon from the back of a pickup truck parked on the highway. And police are now fining people. They find a person on Sunday... Uh, after 100 cars uh, were trying to watch this service and police were blocking the entrance of the parking lot for the planned service. So so police are, are trying to deny people the right to do something safely because in Manitoba, everything's non-essential. In Manitoba, you can't do church. In Manitoba, you can't buy something with the exception of essential goods at a store, even if the store is deemed to be open. So when the pastor says we are standing up for religious freedom, uh, police are there trying to block anyone from hearing it. They're actually trying to deny anyone the right to uh, partake in that religious freedom. And this is the, the local RCMP who, again, are responding to a government directive from Brian Pallister, which says churches are not essential which says that, you know, the Black Lives Matter protest, that's fine, but church is not essential. You can safely buy apples or milk at a store, but you can't safely buy skis or a Lego set for your kid in a store. This has nothing to do with health. This has nothing to do with healthcare guidelines. As I said last week, this is about controlling the people, not controlling the virus. And what's happening here? Well, you're pushing more and more people into the anti-lockdown column. That's one of the most notable things I'm seeing is that people I know that I'm connected to on social media who are not typically political and, and not even right of center are, are coming more and more on side with the anti-lockdown protesters. People that, again, aren't even a fan of, of Pastor Hildebrandt that are saying, oh, you know, I'm starting to see his side. People that don't like Adam Skelly that even in the last week have turned from being uh, critical of him to supportive of him because they see the state overreach. They see the government overreach and, and people are starting to, I think, wisen up to the fact that this is not going to get better unless people start resisting against it and saying, uh, no, th this is not sensible. This is not viable. 
And, and again, there are a lot of people who will just do whatever the government tells them to do because they are good citizens. That's their mentality, and that's part of the Canadian identity. And the, the one line that I've heard, which I, I have to sh uh, caution people about, is, well, you know, this is just for two weeks to get it under control. Where have I heard that before? Just two weeks. We are right now in what, you know, month nine of two weeks to flatten the initial curve. So so that don't let something being temporary or ostensibly temporary ever be used to justify it because the temporary becomes the permanent. And anyone who's paying income tax or sales tax knows this very well. The temporary becomes the permanent, especially when it comes to government. RCMP are charging people in Manitoba, OPP are charging people in Ontario, municipal police forces are charging people all over the place, and rallies, protests, these things, which again are all protected forms of speech, normally are now finding people getting ticketed, fined, or summoned to court. Not even just ticketed, by the way, summoned to court. That's the thing. So it's not even like in some of these cases, you can just pay the fine and make it go away if you wanted to do that, like it were a parking ticket or a speeding ticket or something like that. They're actually being summoned to court. Now, the good thing is a lot of these things are going to be thrown out. Christine Van Gein, who is the litigation director for the Canadian Constitution Foundation, had a, an op-ed in the Toronto Sun about this, where she said there's been a lot about the constitutionality of things. Now, her position, and I think this is a valid one, and sh she's a, a great litigator, so she knows this very well, is that it's a bit more complicated with businesses because in Canada, businesses do not have charter rights. So a, a business does not have the right to life, liberty, security of the person uh, because it's security of the person. So, you know, the idea of saying, you know what, my business's security is being threatened, that's not a, a constitutional argument. But she said on protests, there is a constitutionality aspect there on mask orders, on protests, freedom of assembly, mobility rights, uh, privacy rights, freedom of religion, all of these things. And, and she's not saying that all of these things will be thrown out, but she's talking about how much of an argument there is behind this. And anyone who's studied any of the constitutional cases in Canada knows that there is a very broad exception to constitutional rights in Section 1 of the Charter, the, uh, the so-called Limitation Clause or the Reasonable Limits Clause. But the idea that courts would find all of these infringements uh, to be reasonable I don't quite buy into, even in Canada, where I tend to have uh, very low expectations when it comes to uh, interpretations of, of freedoms. So here's where I would say that we are. The Black Lives Matter protests proved very inconvenient for the government and for the left, I think. And the reason I say that is because that proves the malleability of what's happening right now. If those protests never happened, it, what's happening now would still be wrong, but we would not have as strong a piece of evidence to prove that A, protests are not responsible for transmission, and B, that government is not enforcing this equally and evenly. And that's a very important aspect of this, because if the government were enforcing it equally, it would still be wrong but it wouldn't be as brazenly wrong as it is now where we can prove very easily that they're only interested in some cases. They're only interested in going after 200 uh, you know, anti-lockdown protesters and not 10,000 uh, anti-police protesters, which seems odd because you think police would be going after both, which is why I put the blame squarely at the government. 
So yes, there's a constitutional question here, but there's also a public trust. If you want people to take your guidance seriously, you have to prove that you're actually approaching it with a level of consistency. And when you have every government agency imaginable throwing the book at a barbecue joint owner, police driving to ticket pastors, they're not going to take it seriously. And when it comes to trying to tell people that they can't have their Christmas dinners with their family, a lot of people are, are not going to be interested in going along with the big lie. The big lie about this. And when I talk about the big lie, I'm not blaming an individual politician. I'm talking about this idea that uh, no one's liberties exist in the period of the pandemic, that no one's liberties exist by this point in 2020. The one benefit, and I say that very cautiously, of how long this has gone on is that we know how to live our lives and we know how to adapt things. And one point that I would stress here, we were told about the second wave when we were in the midst of the first wave. And it was told to us as though it was going to happen. So the idea that the existence of the second wave proves that something needed to change is murky. It's very murky because the existence of the second wave was something that was predicted from the get-go and said to be basically part of the trajectory of these sorts of viruses. And we learned going through the first wave that lockdowns did not help. It was adapting practices, finding ways to go shopping safely, finding ways to go to church safely, finding ways to uh, protect the vulnerable and sever and segregate them off from society, and allowing families to make individual decisions. In the U.S., we saw a patchwork of this. There are some states that said, listen, we trust people, and other states that banned anyone from having Thanksgiving dinner with any other household. And there was a complete range about this. So we won't know for another couple of weeks what the U.S. Thanksgiving effect was on things overall. But I don't think it will be as dramatic, as dramatic as a lot of the pro-lockdown activists would like you to believe. Because people are taking it seriously, are capable of taking it seriously, and are capable of adapting. But if you start to put government overreach as being the priority, be ahead of public health guidelines, ahead of education, ahead of any other things, then people are just going to retreat from it all and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm tapping out. You're going to get COVID fatigue to the nth degree if you make that the priority. So my heart goes out to people that are genuinely trying to do the right thing that are genuinely trying to do the right thing and are finding that uh, they can't or that they don't know what the right thing is because the advice hasn't been clear. And now they just are terrified of police busting down their door because, as I joked last week, you know, maybe they were spotted at the grocery store buying a turkey that was too big because the snitch culture, the snitch culture now is massive. I saw this video from a CBC reporter. It looks like she's got like the zoom lens as she's counting people that are coming out of a church. Counting people coming out of a church. Just watch this. 55, 56, 57, 48. 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54. 55, 56. And that's life now. 
That is life now. Snitching on your neighbors, ratting them out. If you hear a little bit too much noise coming from the next door uh, neighbor's house at Christmas, well, you know what? You got to call it in. And we're going to see the hotlines come out. I had predicted on the show more than two weeks ago they were going to cancel Christmas. And I was right pretty much to the day. I think I was a day off from when the official edicts were coming that, oh, you know what? Christmas isn't going to happen this year. And it's funny, I'm going to tell you two stories very briefly before I wrap things up here. I saw a photo that a friend of mine who has children posted on, on, I think it was Instagram on the weekend, of visiting Mall Santa. But, you know, the kid was on one side of a plexiglass barrier while a masked Santa was on the other side. So there was no sitting on the lap. It was like a weird sort of confession thing where I guess maybe you have to talk through the sheet. And, and I watched this and I'm like, you know what, at a certain point, it might not even be worth doing things. And, and visiting Santa was one of them. So I and I had a couple of parents say they agree. I had a couple of parents say, yeah, you know what? They want to do as much as they can with their kids. And the other thing, I, I don't watch a lot of fictional television. I saw a, an ad on TV for some legal drama. And on the legal drama people were wearing masks and I, I unmuted it and I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And it wasn't an episode about the pandemic. It wasn't an episode about COVID where they had worked it in. It was just an episode that takes place in our modern reality. So they were all reflecting the modern reality without the show being about it. And, and, and I actually found that genuinely unsettling and depressing, especially as someone who likes old TV shows. You know, I love Lucy and MASH and I don't know how much of today's television is going to be around in, in 50 years and actually be watched like some of the great shows from the last 30, 40, 50 years. But imagine if this is now how the time is remembered. And some people may say, you know what, the jig is up. It's going to be remembered that way anyway, which is fine. But, but to be immortalized in that way, to be immortalized in that way is contributing to this normalization of this culture. And, and even if you accept the inevitability of what we're living in right now, do not accept the normalcy of it. Do not accept that this is how life is meant to be. Because if you do, that is how you stop losing the freedoms that are more essential now than they have been in most of our lifetimes. With that, I will talk to you later this week. From True North, I'm Andrew Lawton. Thank you, God bless, and good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.